and welcome to The Courageous Mama. Thank you for joining me again today. It's lovely having you with me. It's lovely journeying with you. If you're wanting to be empowered, equipped and encouraged as a parent, if you're looking to grow children with soft hearts but great strength, you've come to the right place. Do you ever wonder what's behind the increase in depression and anxiety in young people these days. Today we're going to look at some of the neurology behind everyday behaviours, ours and our children's. Recent studies have thrown some light on how the brain responds in different situations and it makes interesting reading. Well actually it's quite heavy reading so I thought you might appreciate it if I took the bones of it and shared it with you here. A young adult's predicted mental and physical health is sometimes assessed by using what's known as an ACE score. A-C-E standing for Adverse Childhood Experiences. They might take sort of a 20 year old and look back at their lives and track the traumas that they've experienced. And the more negative experience that they've had of abuse or neglect, the higher the ACE score and the more likely the incidence of health problems, heart disease, diabetes is linked to this, and certainly mental health issues as their life goes on. But that still leaves me with a major question. There are so many children, young adults, and even people in their 20s, who are not having or have not had traumatic childhood experiences that we know of. In fact, they've had or are having what we would pretty much term as a relatively normal childhood. So why the surge in mental health issues, the anxiety, the increase in depression? Why the increased teen suicide rates? Why the school refuses? Why are children and even very young children having anxiety attacks? Why do children get overwrought over issues that you or I in childhood might have rolled with a little bit more easily? And if you're at all unsure about those statistics I've just mentioned, take a look at Data ONS, the government website, or the waiting list for CAMS, or actually just ask any teacher whether they're finding higher incidences of childhood stress, and even so higher incidences of spectrum disorders, which it's emerging can often be linked to trauma. So I want to explore what are the things that are causing this stress? Are there some traumas that are happening that we're actually overlooking? And what's the neurology behind it all? And most importantly, what do we put in place as parents to support them and avoid that deterioration of their resilience? Well, firstly, it's worth saying, yes, it is quite possible that our children are experiencing traumas that are going under the radar. We're familiar with the word MRI, aren't we? The machines that provide information on the internal issues of the body. But there's also a machine called an FRMI, a functional MRI machine. And that has the ability to record the brain's activities in video form during live experiences. The FRMI machine illustrates which part of the brain is lighting up during different experiences. And that indicates where and at what point the impact is being felt and where the stress shows up. When the area that deals with fight or flight is lighting up. 
And we know that when those areas are lit up, there's a release of cortisol from the pituitary gland. That's our stress hormone, our defensive hormone, the one that kind of floods the brain when we're in stress. Well, the FRMI exposes the obvious moments, of course, such as an argument or being reprimanded, experiencing a loss or disappointment. When a person's wired up and they're having that sort of experience, necessarily the parts of the brain are lighting up that you would expect. But there are other times that their stress areas light up and they are around relatively minor experiences, interactions during the day that we might say are quite kind of run of the mill. But what's more interesting is that the peak of stress doesn't occur necessarily at the point where the stress occurs. It seems to often happen beforehand. It seems that the anticipation of a negative experience spikes the anxiety in a child. Anticipation of a negative experience is a micro trauma. Now, of course, anticipation of a huge experience, you'd expect that to spike. But anticipation of negative experiences that may or may not happen are micro traumas. And we know, don't we, that looking back at our own childhoods, that feeling the night before a birthday or Christmas is an emotion that we can readily recall and access. In fact, sometimes more easily than the actual event that followed. By the same token, anticipating a negative experience can feel as, or even more, stress-inducing than the actual event. In fact, the memory of it can also be equally stressful, but that's another whole subject for another day. Another thing that heightens stress is unpredictability. And again, we can easily relate to that, can't we? If you're watching a movie that has an element of suspense about it, you can be sitting on the edge of your seat, kind of amping up your amygdala, marinating in cortisol well before the dreaded moment comes to pass. The FRMI would show you lit up like a Christmas tree around your amygdala. And so it is with children. It's not necessarily the event that spikes their cortisol. It's the anticipation of the event and the unpredictability around it. What a cocktail. And that's what we're going to look at today. So let's dial back to the fact that we think we live in relatively easygoing, untraumatic homes for the most part, notwithstanding the fact that your home may have had a traumatic experience. What I'm talking about is your kind of normals. What's to stress about in the normal run of a day? I mean, there will be stresses such as if a teacher gives too much homework or a friend lets them down or they forget something that they need for school or for an extracurricular or perhaps they realise they forgot a piece of work was due in. They can rise to those sort of things, can't they? But with respect, and I'm on tender ground here, I realise, it may not be the issue itself that's the problem for the child but the parent's reaction to it. A well-meaning, kind parent who's just trying to support the child. And that's why I'm bringing this today, because I think we're uncovering a slightly invisible area. As loving parents, we can be wired to minimise or even manage our children's problems. We whiz in the forgotten item. We email the teacher with a reason why the homework couldn't possibly have been done. We tell our child the reasons that they're fantastic and they shouldn't worry about that friend. 
We offer to help them with the homework overload or give them a platitude perhaps to show them that we think they can really manage that extra homework. It's doable. Or perhaps we don't run to help them, but maybe sometimes we express frustration with them, exasperation or even shock at what they've done or what they've forgotten to do. If you've listened to my other podcast about empathy or perhaps have done some research around empathy, it won't completely surprise you to hear that these responses to a child's challenge are not always well received by the child. They're well meant, but not always well received. Why not? Well, in short, what the child really, really, really wants when they hit a challenge is to have their feelings understood. As much as whizzing in items, calling teachers can magic the problem away, as much as encouraging them or helping them can be a kind thing to do, as justified as your frustration or exasperation may well be, they don't reach the place in the brain where the stress is occurring. The stress is coming from their feelings. Not the problem, but the feeling around the problem. Problems do need solving, but solving is not in fact the first response required. The primary need is that that feeling needs meeting. Even if you come up with a magic solution, the child is not being heard and understood. Their feelings are being ignored. It's a micro trauma. Day after day, week after week, year after year, little micro traumas experienced by a child with a well-meaning or slightly irritated parent. Not a wrong parent, a parent doing their best. And they begin to learn that not only have I got a problem, but I've also got to experience not being understood when my problem gets exposed or when I dare to say something about it or when it's just obvious to everyone around. It's a micro trauma. And worse, going back to the research, it's an anticipated micro trauma. And harder still, there will be a relative amount of unpredictability around it because when we're trying to solve other people's problems, we can come at that from various different angles depending on our mood. So it's slightly dependent on how we feel because we've made it our problem. And so you've got all of the factors of that cocktail that upsets their fight or flight. You've got anticipated, unpredictable micro traumas. Lots of tiny traumas throughout the week can be so much harder than one big issue. A few years ago, I sat next to a pain doctor at a dinner, or a pain management specialist, I think is the proper title. He treated patients who have different types of long-lasting or chronic pain, who just didn't want to just carry on living on painkillers. I actually didn't know there was such a doctor. But he explained that he gives his patients, when they first come in, a piece of paper, and it's got a sort of stick man on it. And he asks them to put a cross in each place where they have pain. And he went on to explain that if there's a couple of large crosses on the page, he feels optimistic. 
but his worst case scenario is when the patient puts lots of little crosses all over the place. As a parent, we're conscious of the big moments, the big crosses, the traumas, the difficult challenges, just as we are of the big events, the birthdays, the holidays, the grand gestures. We know about the big stuff. But it's the small consistencies of every day that are making the greatest impression. And it's not even the events themselves that could have the longest impact, but in fact, our reactions to their little events. Their real issue is that they're not getting the space for reflection when something little happens. The resonance that that issue needs in order for the child to move on to the next stage, which is the problem solving. What we're doing is effectively we're just pushing it down or whisking it away or unintentionally shaming them if we're getting frustrated or justifiably irritated. And that means that every time an issue may or may not occur, they're not living with the confidence that it will be empathetically met. They are living with the concern that anything could happen. It might get minimised, it might get whisked away, it might get resolved, or it might get a roll of the eye. This is a bona fide, unpredictable micro-stress that they experience, quite possibly most days, quite possibly more than once in a day. But we can be totally unaware that we're causing that stress. That cortisol is flooding through them because every time something goes wrong, it gets headed off at the pass by a well-meaning parent. There are also a number of other reactions that children can commonly expect from well-meaning parents who are rising to their role of trying to mature their children. It could be that they don't want to do something that's expected of them. They want understanding, but actually what they get is maybe a little lecture or a reminder of what's expected of them. Not a big deal, but a micro-trauma. A feeling that's not been heard or understood. It could be that they tend to forget things and they know that if you find out their latest oversight, they'll want understanding. But they might get the roll of your eyes or some small form of exasperation. Not a big deal, but a micro-trauma. A feeling that's not been heard or understood. I was listening to a story from a parent the other day and he had an epiphany when he saw the research. He has what he would term a sarcastic sense of humour. We probably all know a few people with that. They're very funny actually, aren't they, sometimes? As long as you're not perhaps on the receiving end. And his son lived with the constant micro-stress that he might be hit at any moment by a sarcastic jibe. Just joking. And the dad said, I probably did it about once a month. But that, he admitted, was the perfect cocktail for a cortisol spike. Unpredictable, don't know when it's going to come, but anticipated. Got to be on red alert the whole time, you don't know when it's coming at you. And then minimised. It's only a joke, it's only kidding. Perhaps there are some parents out there who would admit that they have a bit of a temper. Nothing serious, 
Just a little quick firing here and there. Unpredictable and constantly anticipated by a child. And it could even be that the parent is very good at apologising afterwards. Or maybe it could be that actually everyone just moves past it like it never happened. Oh, dad just had one of his, you know, crazy moments. Or mum just had a little hissy fit. And certainly apologies are very healing. But the kids are still living on the edge of their seat. Unpredictable, anticipated stress. And there are so many unpredictables in a child's life. A parent who swoops in to solve. A parent with a sarcastic sense of humour. A fiery parent. A parent who quietly simmers and you don't really know what's wrong with them. An overly reactive parent. A disengaged parent. A parent who minimises. Maybe one who preaches or moralises or decides to share all of their own stories. When I was your age, that kind of stuff. A parent who solves. A parent who distracts. A parent who consoles. A lot of those we would see as good parenting strategies. But in fact, they can be micro traumas. And if they're living in anticipation, day after day, they're a constant, ongoing micro trauma. Or let's take the heat off us as parents and actually just look at some other unpredictables in our child's life. A sibling who's moody or reactive. Perhaps a sibling on the spectrum. We certainly had that issue. A teacher that they don't feel comfortable around. Lessons that they hate. Sports are a real stress area for some children. For others it could be languages. For others it could be maths. Events that they dread. And of course, there will be added scenarios if there's been a loss in the family or a notable trauma, a separation or financial struggles. But the good news is this. It's not the absence of struggle that produces a healthy child. We'll all have things we dislike, lessons that we dislike, things that we don't want to experience. The reality is we can't avoid all challenges. But the parental response to their emotions can make all the difference. A child will struggle with things and they'll come across many things in an average week that they prefer not to. They're not the micro traumas necessarily. It's the anticipation of how we react to them that is causing the rise in cortisol. We can't avoid challenges but we can look at the way that we meet their challenges. Are we looking for solutions or are we looking to make space to meet the feeling? When their amygdala is jacked up, when their cortisol levels are peaking, there's an incredibly simple and accessible solution for us as parents. And it's not to solve the problem. It's to acknowledge and affirm the feeling. If you can give their feeling the space to be felt, if you can let them know that it's okay to feel like that, if you can sit with them in that place, you will reduce their anxiety. If you make a habit, you'll reduce the anxiety of anticipated stress. If you hardwire that, you'll even become predictable. We might never be perfect, but we can be a safe place for emotions.
a space where their fight or flight can relieve itself from defence mode because we're empathetic, reliable space makers for feelings around challenges. So that's the neurology around some of the stress that they experience and how we unwittingly add to it. Life will deal them curveballs. They will fail and fall short, but their brain can live in an environment where they know that their feelings will be heard and affirmed. They'll be understood. So they don't need to lock into stress mode like a hedgehog shooting up all its prickles. Whatever happens, whatever comes their way, no matter how alarming it is, their feelings are permissible, even if they're the ones that have caused the problem. If you could wire an fMRI up to a child who lives with parents who accept their feelings, no matter how alarming the predicament, you would see a notable difference in their brain scan videos. Mum, I fell over at school today. One response, oh dear, are you all right now? Other response, oh how horrible, that's so scary when that happens, isn't it? Noted the emotion, made it okay. Dad, we're running late, the coach is going to be so annoyed with me. One response, just tell him it was my fault. I had so much on today and we're running late. It was all Dad's fault. Another response, oh darling, it feels so unnerving, doesn't it, when you know you're going to be in trouble. Are you feeling worried about what he'll say? Noted the emotion, made it okay. I hate spiders and I've just seen one in the bathroom. One response, oh, they're harmless. Another response, oh, I know that really creeps you out, doesn't it? I bet that gave you a horrible fright. Noted the emotion, made it okay. Ten of those a day, a total difference in how many micro traumas they're logging up. Every answer we give can be empathetic. It doesn't mean to say, I approve of your behaviour. I like the fact that you've forgotten your school bag. You're not saying that. And it doesn't mean that you'll raise wimpy children. In fact, that's the next and important part of this episode. I'm just interrupting this podcast for a moment to say if you're enjoying The Courageous Mama, I think you'll love the book Parenting for Life. This is what readers have to say. This book is absolute gold dust. I bought this book to give away, but I'm keeping it. This book has so many helpful suggestions for the modern family, and it's helpful for our marriage too. This book is a must in every home. If I was able to buy just one book on parenting, this would be the book. Parenting for Life is available to listeners at a special rate on the Courageous Mama website and blog, thecourageousmama.com. There's a link in the show notes. How do we raise resilient children, especially if we're going to empathise with every single challenge? Many children these days have not built the confidence that comes with resolving their own issues. And there'll be many reasons for that. Sociologists will have an informed perspective on the things in today's culture that would be causing that. Experientially, from my perspective, I would say that parents are very quick to come to the aid of a child when that child meets a challenge. 
they're honestly doing what they think is the kindest thing. However, it's in adversity that our children develop their muscles for adulthood. It's by rising to challenges that they become less afraid of the unpredictable issues of life. And I don't mean the unpredictable anticipated stress of not having their feelings met. I just mean the reality of the unpredictable weather patterns of life. In an experiment, two sets of seedlings of English oak trees were planted in order to evaluate the effect of wind pressure on developing oak trees. One set of seedlings was planted around a simulated wind device, so they were constantly having wind blown at them. And the other set was planted without that extra stress. After seven months, they examined their two sets of plants using a 3D digitizer. And they discovered that the trees that were exposed to the wind had developed more roots and longer roots. In fact, they had extended two times the amount of roots and the roots were two times the length of those of the trees that didn't have that extra wind factor. Building strength in our children doesn't come from protecting them from difficulties. It comes from helping them to develop strong roots. I was chatting with a mum the other day and she was sharing that her daughter had received a really unkind WhatsApp from some friends. You've probably experienced that yourself. This group were all together at an event and her daughter hadn't actually been invited and she was sort of getting taunted by their WhatsApps and they were even saying some quite nasty things. It hurt. She saw the sense of rejection in her daughter. And with the best will in the world, the mum phoned the parents of said friends and explained how hard that had been for her daughter. Needless to say... She didn't get the loving and empathetic responses from those parents that she'd hoped for. They, in turn, defended their own children. But the point is, she'd made her daughter's problem her problem, and she jumped right on in to solve it. And that's the stress that many children often experience. My problem has just become mum's problem or dad's problem. But it's my problem, and it's confusing and it's disempowering, and it involves unpredictable responses that the child feels they have no control over. It has all the elements of a micro-trauma. So whether your child has had a mini-fail or forgotten something, or got a friendship issue, or isn't meeting some of your expectations, hasn't got an invite, or has got an invite that they don't want to attend, can't do their homework, is dreading a lesson or an event, or found a spider in the bath, it's so easy for us to solve. But every event that comes their way is an opportunity to build muscle. Every time we cover them and swoop in and mend it for them, what we're actually saying is, I'll take this one. Your problem has just become mine. And what they're hearing is, I don't think you've got what it takes to solve this one. You're not big enough for this. And in fairness, it's hardly surprising we take this tack sometimes. They start their lives in abject need of our swooping in. We get used to it. They're hungry, we provide food. Their toy is broken, we fix it. They're tired, we get them to bed. And then they grow a little, and we've just kind of hardwired this way of stepping in the whole time. 
added to that, the world that these kids are growing up in these times does look so harsh and unkind and unfair at times. And the last thing that we mean to convey to them is, I don't trust you. What we're trying to say is, I love you so much, I want to help you, I want to take this away from you. But what they hear is, you need me to do this for you. We're taking the win factor and we're absorbing it all for them. And every time we do that, we deny them the opportunity to grow fresh roots, to push those roots deep, deep into the ground. So that when they grow up, no matter what wind comes along, they might get blown left and right, but they're not going to get shaken right out of the ground. So what they need to hear from us is that we believe that they have a plan or that we think they're capable of forming a plan. So here are a couple of useful all-purpose sentences after the empathy, of course, after you've sat in that place where it hurts or it stinks or it's frightening. We can then gently say, what are you thinking of doing about that? Or what do you think you could do about that? What do you think your options are? What would you like to do? How can I support you in that? And they may not know what to do. And perhaps that's our fear. They won't know what to do. They may need to process it on their own or perhaps with you. But when you say those sentences, the message you're sending is, I think you'll come up with something and I'm here to help you. Which is so different from, stand back, I've got this. I'll come up with something, something that will prevent you from experiencing any more discomfort than is absolutely necessary. I was watching an episode of Modern Family recently with one of the kids and there was an issue where one of the children had taken the locket and a necklace of another child who was leaving the school and he thought it would give him something to remember her by. It wasn't a sort of premeditated theft. She dropped it and he'd found it. And then it got reported as missing and then that became muddly because he was in possession of it. So fast forward to it being found on his person and the dad insisted that the mother and child go and fess up to the headmaster. And his all-loving mum agreed and she went into the school and in a desperate attempt to save the child from the wind factor, from the discomfort, she pushed it back into the locker of the girl to whom it originally belonged. Well, you might not go that far, but have we ever saved them from themselves? If we can't watch them get caught in a headwind when they're small, we won't be able to do it when they're bigger, when the stakes get higher. So standing back, allowing them to have the feeling and waiting for them to process the issue and letting them know that we trust them and waiting for them to give us the green light to assist them just with suggestions, isn't just a good idea, it's an investment in their future esteem. It speaks to the stress factors in their brains. And of course it's helpful to say, perhaps if they're muddled over it, do you need a couple of ideas or suggestions after you've first of all intimated that it's their deal. But until they've said, yes please, or what would you do in my position, Until they've said that, it's not an invitation. So hold back, hold your nerve. Every challenge overcome is a victory. 
a micro victory. A message to self that I can do this. I've got what it takes. If I come across that again, I can be more confident that I'll overcome it. And you may need to actually watch them try and fail and try again. You may have to develop the patience to watch them persevere. Maybe their outcome will be less fantastic than yours might have been. But it's their outcome for their problem, achieved in an atmosphere of acceptance of feelings. If a child, whilst growing up, has the experience of overcoming their challenges, if they're given the space to experience their feelings and even have the feelings validated, if they live with the knowledge that you're big enough for their issues and that you can stand back and let them own their own problems, that you won't overreact to them, that you can handle yourself, they will avoid hundreds and even thousands of micro-traumas. Their day will not be littered with little crosses. And that will mean that their cortisol levels will not be oscillating throughout the day. They will grow strong, long roots. They will learn to accept themselves and their muddly, complex emotions. That that's normal. They'll become confident. They'll become strong. Reducing their stress is not achieved by taking away their challenges. It's by letting them have the feelings and then teaching them how to lean into those challenges and take responsibility, knowing that you back them. And then their predictive ACE scores will point to good physical health and good mental health in the short term and in the long term. What's the neurology behind today's increase in stress and anxiety of children? Well, probably quite a few things, but certainly one of them is the incidence of micro traumas. And that is something that we can do something about. And don't forget, you can pick up your copy of Parenting for Life at that special rate to you if you go to thecourageousmama.com. It also makes a great Christmas present or a newborn present because it's not a preachy book. It's just a book about growing home and how to bed in those all important things, not just in the early years, but in all the years of parenting. And if you feel that you would benefit from some one-to-one -one chatting just about family life or a place that you might have got stuck or need a little bit of help with, do contact me. My email is also in the show notes. Thanks for joining me. I'll see you next week.